Yeah, as Darcy said, my name is Luke. I'm the high school pastor here. I've been uh, doing youth ministry here for eight years, and it is uh, my privilege uh, to be sharing God's word with you. Um, so I'm married. My wife, Danae, she's just right over here. And uh, we uh, moved into a condo last year. Uh, we bought our first place, very excited. Um, and we've been trying to like get to know our neighbors and stuff like that, be good like Christians, right? And uh, this past couple or a couple months ago, we did our prayer walk. We did our prayer week with Northview and it was like a super exciting time for us. And they were like, we're, let's, let's do this. Let's like walk around our neighborhood and let's pray that we would get to know the people and that we could share the good news of who Jesus is and how he came to actually save lives. And we're getting like super excited for this. So we spend the whole week, we walk and we pray and we're like, waiting for God to do something. The next day, we get a letter in the mail from our strata. And it says, you have been filed an official complaint for being too loud, for stomping, for putting your washing machine too late at night. And I'm like, God, this is how you wanna answer this? This is, this is the route you wanna go. Okay, I see how you're doing. And so the first thing that comes into my mind is the injustice of like, Stomping, loud noises. Oh, I'll, I'll show you stomping. I, I'll get out the bowling balls, the golf balls, and I'll just start rolling them all around the floor. That'll be annoying. That's my first reaction. My second reaction, a little bit better, um, is what are the actual rules, right? I, I go and look in the strata guidelines and being like, okay, it says I can't make excessive noise past 10 o'clock. These complaints, they say 9.30. So... I am free from all burden of this. I can wash my hands. Danae, don't worry about it. We're good. We do not have to worry about this complaint. But at the end of the letter, it says, if you do not message us back, say how you're going to resolve this in a month, you'll be fined $300. And we're like, we don't have $300. So I got to do something about this. And so as like the days pass by, I could feel like the spirit kind of tugging on me and being like, Luke, is this really how you should react? Is this what you should be doing? Like, you're not like, you're not that important. Like just apologize. I'm like, no, I'm not apologizing. They should apologize for being sensitive. Um, And Danae phones me as I was driving home from work, from working at a church. And uh, she's like, Luke, I, I just really feel like we should like give them a gift basket, invite them over for dinner, and like, just be kind. And I'm like, oh, I feel the same way too, Danae. <laughs> Spirit's really been working on me, but this is, this is it. And so we did, we did that, we did that. Danae put together a lovely gift basket, wrote an apology note and invited them for dinner. And we had a lovely time. Like it's just, uh, it's a single mom and her daughter. And uh, apparently the washing machine is right above her uh, room and so us, using the washing machine at 12 o'clock at night, apparently she can hear it. So not a great idea. And then Danae has actually had a sweet relationship. They bake stuff together. When we're gone, uh, the daughter actually looks after our kittens and we've started to like actually develop a friendship. And it's like been so cool. But what actually got in the way of that relationship right there was pride. And the text that we're given um, actually reveals, I think, one of the main marks of Christianity is being humble. And that is so very difficult. I want to elevate myself so often. I wanna make myself look better than what I am. 
I want to be seen as great and humility. It just admits your mistakes, admits your flaws, admits your sins. And so I really wasn't up for that. But the positive out of the relationship of being humbled, of being like going to them and saying sorry, has actually developed into hopefully a keep a budding relationship. And so I have uh, the main point for what I want us to get from the text that we're going to read today is be humble in the rumble. So in the rumble of life, in the worries, anxieties that come up in this world, be humble. And we're going to see this in two different ways, or we're going to expand the point in two different ways of be humble in the rumble. And the first point is let's get ready to humble. And the second point is resist the lion. So first point, let's get ready to humble and then resist the lion. So let's read the text together. First Peter five, six to nine. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's God's word. So the first point I want us to get that's going to expand, be humble in the rumble, is let's get ready to humble. As a kid growing up, I loved uh, the guy who made that phrase famous, Michael Buffer. He would get in that announcer voice and get a position and he would, let's get ready to rumble, right? And it gets you pumped. There's something about let's get ready to rumble that it gets you psyched up to like go and just do something. We'd say that before football games. You look at each other in the face, you grab the face mask, smack, smack, smack. Let's get ready to rumble and you push each other slap you're getting pumped up and you're like yeah let's do this let's rumble I want to hit someone (laughs) sort of (laughs) sort of like that this this that was the mark of getting ready to do something big like getting your mind ready for what is about to happen Christians when we wake up in the morning what is the thing what is the phrase what is the model that we wake up that gets us ready for the day. And I think one of them that's really good is let's get ready to humble. That should be one of the phrases in our our, our mornings that we wake up and we're like, okay, I'm ready to be humble. I'm ready to be humble. But it's hard. Like, it's not that easy. You can just wake up, okay, Luke, let's get ready to humble and just be humble throughout the day. There's nothing, there's, there's things that stop us from being humble. And I think our culture, actually fights against humility often. Oftentimes, it fights against humility. It is talking, you need to raise yourself out. You're a high value man. You're a high value woman. You, you deserve the best. You are the best. Get it. Raise yourself higher. Bring yourself higher. Don't bring yourself down. Bring yourself higher. That's, that's what our culture is constantly saying. Uh, we can see this in all sorts of areas of our lives. Uh, you can see this on our social media pages. Uh, you put the pictures that make you look the best on there. You don't want anyone to see your flaws. You need, you need to adjust your picture just right with the right filter. You can actually edit your photos so your hair looks better. So you just are not actually what you're seeing in person. Oftentimes we do that. Uh, We make our marriages look better than what they really are. We make our friendships seem like we have the best friends, the most friends, that everyone loves you. 
We make it look like we're a ladies' man or we get all the guys. We make ourselves look what we're not actually. We keep these things and we elevate our pride and we don't want to be humble. I see this a lot in sports. It becomes a lot of me-focused sports about individual feats that you're doing great. As long as I look good, I don't care if we win or lose. We see this a lot in our culture and Christianity speaks against that. Peter is reminding Christians, be humble under the mighty hand of God. He is reminding Christians, we are humble under someone who is far greater, whose knowledge is superior, whose strength is superior, whose wisdom is superior, who is better than us in all ways and knows what you should do better than what you should do. He always knows what is right and what is good all the time. This is who Peter is saying we humble ourselves to. So I had the privilege of coaching grade nine boys basketball uh, this past winter. It was a great learning experience. I've never coached basketball before. I've only played basketball in pickup and then in high school. And so I have a couple friends who play on youth sports and I invited one of them to come and watch our practice and give us pointers. And he started giving pointers of how people should shoot and dribble and how, what kind of games you should play to keep the kids engaged and actually fun and actually still learning stuff. And I sat there and I just let him do his thing. I'm like, yes, you know more than me. You are better at this than me. And I let him do his thing. And we actually became a better team because of it. Could, could you imagine though? Think with me. If my pride got in the way that I said, I, I know you play like for a long time and I know you like your school pays you to actually play, but I play pickup ball. So like, I know a thing or two about basketball. So I'm just gonna ignore what you're saying and I'm gonna continue on this own path. Right, that's, that's ridiculous. Like you understand the guy who doesn't play versus the guy who does play doesn't know as much. Peter says, be humble under the mighty hand of God. We do not know as much as God. We are not as strong as God. God is the one who has the mighty hand. What Peter wants to invoke is an image to the readers, to the listeners of this letter. He wants to invoke an image, the mighty hand of God. He wants to push their minds back to when Israel was held captive in Egypt for 400 years. In 400 years, they were, they were stuck in slavery. They were slaves for 400 years and they cried out to God and God saved them. Under his mighty head, he pulled them out of Egypt and gave them a land of their own a place of their own to call home. So where there could be his people and be a blessing to the whole world. God gave him, gave them that place. Under his mighty hand, he had saved Israel. And this is the image Peter wants his readers to understand. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is the kind of God that we serve. Someone who is this mighty. See, the reason we humble ourselves is because God is a capable God. We don't humble ourselves under a God who can't do anything. We humble ourselves under a God who is sovereign over all. The one who is better than all. He is the one we humble ourselves to. And then we even pull our way into the New Testament and to see how Jesus came to save us. It's nothing by our own mighty hands that we are saved. It is by grace and grace alone. It is through faith 
that we are made sons and daughters of God by what Jesus has done for us. The mighty hand of God has saved us from sin itself, from death, and he has given us new life. He's given us new names. We are now called the righteousness of God. We are now seen as holy in his eyes. And it's nothing that we have done. Under the mighty hand of God, we have been plucked out of sin, out of death, and given new life. This is something that is incredible. And Peter wants his audience to remember, be humble under the mighty hand of God. See, what got in the way of me being humble in my neighbor's relationship is pride. My pride would have led to broken relationships, tension with their neighbor, rather than the love that God calls us to. I tried to make myself feel better by doing my own thing, by thinking I know what's best in this situation. I refused humility and took up pride. But my whole life, the reason that I'm here, the reason that I'm a Christian and I love Jesus is because he first worked in me. It's not because I was like, I think this is the best way possible. God chose me and made me his. He saved me from sin. There's no place for pride because pride is a dangerous thing, thinking that we can handle our own things. So when anxieties and worries come our way, we think when pride is there, we think we know what route is best. We think I am the master. I know which way I should walk. But yet God is so kind to us. You guys, he's so kind. He constantly humbles us to show uh, Luke, you actually don't know what you're doing. And he is so gentle sometimes. Other times he's, he's rough, but sometimes he's so gentle in the humbling experience to point me back like, Luke, you're going back to pride. Humble yourself, follow me. Uh, probably one of the biggest experiences in my life uh, has been youth ministry. Uh, when I first started here, I got to work with Annalie. Annalie is actually my sister-in-law now. She wasn't at the time. Uh, I married her sister and then she married my brother. She couldn't get enough of me. And so uh, we're working together and we are like polar opposites. I mean, like fire and water or oil and water, whatever kind of image you want to use, it's this all the time. I'm here to have fun and have a good time. Annalie's like, let's have a three hour meeting and talk details. And I'm like, oh. So that's, that was our relationship is just like, She's obsessed with the details. And I'm like, can we just like have fun, please? Just do something fun in your life. So it came to times when I would come up like, Annalie, I got this great idea. Let's do this thing. And she'd be like, but that, this is wrong in this. Uh, we can't actually do that. Luke, that's illegal. And all these different things that we just couldn't feasibly do. And I'm like, why do you have to be that way? Why are you the way that you are? Why can't you be like me? And time and time again, uh, she would like crash my parties. And then eventually I just, it would be the arms folded. I give my idea and then she'd be like, Luke, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. Luke, come on, talk to me. No, I'm done. And I would just be, I'd be like a five-year-old and I would just pout the rest of the time. I'm like, if you don't like my ideas, fine. We're not doing them. Eventually it got so bad that she's like, Luke, like we need, we need to work this out. Why do you get so upset every time I just try to make your idea better? I just want to see these ideas actually work. So I'm trying to help you. Why won't you let me help you? And it came down to it. It was like, it was my pride. Like I wanted to be seen as I always knew where to go, what direction, what's the thing that we should do. I always wanted to be right. 
and Annalie corrected me often and it really bothered me. But I didn't know what was best. That's the thing. Like I didn't, I was constantly wrong, constantly wrong in all of my decisions. It was by God's grace that he actually put Annalie in my life to actually make some good decisions. It's okay to be wrong sometimes. God still cares for you no matter what. Us making mistakes, it's part of us following Jesus. It's us being wrong sometimes. But like, think about this. Who in your life has lied to you the most, has steered you wrong the most, has actually given you the most empty promises you could ever have in your life? Who has mistreated you the most? And if we were to think deeply enough about this question, it's, it's me and it's you. We are our own worst enemies. The inner me is the enemy. We often lead ourselves down bad paths. Often my foot is inserted so far in my mouth, it needs surgical equipment to remove it. We do this, we do this as people all the time. We put ourselves into terrible situations and worries, anxieties come our way and we think we can deal with them. We think that we are the most capable person to handle the situations that we've got ourselves into. I got myself into it, I'm gonna get myself out. But that is not, that is, guys, that is not the way of the gospel. That's not the way of Jesus. It's not that you have to pull your bootstraps up more and just get back in there and try harder. This is what he says in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They are neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus' point here is for the person who follows Jesus, you, you do not need to worry. You do not need to worry because we have a heavenly father who cares for us, casting all of our anxieties, all of our worries, because why? Because he cares for you. He actually loves you and wants you. Your worries and cares, he cares about them too. Those things you got holding on inside of the worries, the anxieties, the things going on in your life, God looks at you and says, I want you and I care about you. That's the kind of God he is. God is so much more capable of holding on to our worries than we are. The other side of it is either God doesn't care or he's not powerful. And I don't think either of those are true. I think God has proven himself time and time again that he is a capable God. And time and time again, 
he has shown that he is a God who cares directly for you. And the biggest example is sending his son, Jesus, to the cross for you. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And not just eternal life, but life to the full. You will have life forever with him and the good life for him. You will get to know God personally. On an intimate level, you will get to know him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And we see that under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you. This is how we persevere. By saying, God, I can't do this. God, I can't, I can't do this life without you. I need you to lead me because these worries, these anxieties are swarming over me daily and I need help. And we look at this text for encouragement because what he cares for you and he will exalt you on the proper time in his time, not yours, his. How we persevere is we continue to press towards Jesus, not ourselves, is we humble ourselves, is we wake up and we say, let's get ready to humble. We wake up humble, sit up humble, walk around humble. We eat, we're humble. With our friends, humble. Playing sports, humble. At work, humble. Whatever it is, we are humble people because it is not us, it is him. He is the one who knows better than us. His ways will lead to life. So let's get ready to humble. But the interesting thing in here um, is that he doesn't say there's nothing to worry about. Like Peter says, uh, there are anxieties and there are worries of life. So there are those things, but he says with those things, you give them to God. But there are things that do trouble us in this world. And Peter explains what those are. Resist the lion, point two. So read with me verse eight and nine. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I like watching documentaries sometimes. Uh, I was watching a nature documentary the other day, um, and it was about lions attacking uh, animals. So it's actually super horrific. I don't actually recommend. As you're watching this, you're like, oh, it's like the soothing voice of David Attenborough, and then all of a sudden lions are like eating everything. You're like, ah, oh, that's disgusting. Um, but what they do, it's super fascinating. Like they'll see a pack of whatever animal they want to attack and they will single out like a weak one or just one in general and then try to enclose it. What they want is they want the animal to think and know that it is completely alone and isolated. And then once it's alone and isolated and the pack is gone, they attack. And they jump on it and they kill whatever they want. Looking at this or hearing this, I think this is a, a picture that Peter is trying to paint of how the devil actually attacks. He prowls like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. He seeks to isolate, tries to get you alone. The enemy tries to shake our faith by saying, there's no one else out there like you. There's no one who actually thinks the same sinful things that you do. You, you are utterly alone. 
that no one, no one could possibly understand the struggles that you have in your life or the anxieties or the worries, nothing. Nobody. I'm alone. And this is, this is what the devil, this is the devil's hunting ground. This is what he loves, is to get Christians isolated, alone, by themselves, and then he hunts. This is one of the devil's main tactics. Uh, when I was playing basketball um, in high school, I was like seventh or eighth man off the bench. Uh, usually, uh, I'd go in, and my goal, uh, defense and foul people. And so, when we'd play really good teams, we'd play against this one really good player, very talented. Um, but sometimes when you're so talented, you get a little woohoo in the head. And so, he was a little bit of a head case. But what we would do, we do this uh, defense called box and one. And essentially what it means is one person is going to be like face to face, nose to nose with this person. Wherever they go, you go. And then the rest, the other four are going to play in a box and play a zone defense and they're just going to guard everybody at the same time. And so with this one person, uh, I would follow them around and just annoy them the whole game. And they would never get the ball because I'm standing right in front of them. And they would eventually like sulk off and just like just stand in the corner and then that made my life very easy I didn't have to guard them anymore they mentally took themselves out of the game because they isolated themselves they didn't try to work around it or try to persevere they're just like well, that's it I'm done this is it I'm just gonna stand in the corner now and sulk because uh they're playing not fair basketball that's what they would do this is the Christian life so often the devil tries to just get us alone, to isolate us, to say, you are by yourself. You don't need anyone. You can do this life on your own. And that is not the Christian message. Jesus has come, lived, died, rose again, given us a new life, and then given us brothers and sisters. He uses the word brotherhood in this. And that's just another word for just brothers and sisters all around, Christians. He has given us brotherhood. And Peter says to stand firm in the faith. Now standing firm with one another is easier than standing firm by yourself. I can't stress this enough of being in community with one another. And sometimes at a large church, it can be super challenging. Even though there's so many people, it can still be so hard to get connected. It can be so hard to get plugged in but to encourage you. Standing firm in the faith is standing firm with other believers. Some of the best things that we, we can do is meet together with one another. We have great avenues for it with men's and women's Bible studies. We're starting a new one this September. I had the privilege of going through men's Bible study last year with a group of high schoolers. It was so good for us to gather weekly to talk about the scriptures, to pray together so that we can stand firm, so that we can fight and resist the devil. Another thing that I love that I do um, is uh, me and a group of guys, we meet every Tuesday morning at 6.30 at Tim Hortons and we pray together. My wife, she meets with a group of girls at 6.30 every Tuesday morning and they pray together because we have experienced enough life that life is so hard by yourself. 
that you need other people praying for you. You need other people to talk to. You need other people to encourage you. Because trying to do this by yourself is impossible. Doing this on your own, headstrong in your ways, is impossible. So my encouragement for you is either join, join a men's, women's Bible study or a community group to get plugged in. Or if you have friends, go deeper with those friends. Danae and I, we just had friends that were like, let's get deeper. Let's stand firm in our faith. So when temptations, when trials, when anxieties and worries come our way, we can stand firm and resist the devil. That we can say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Help. And we can have a crowd of witnesses with us saying, help God. That we have people around us who care. And I know Northview's big and it's hard. But just ask. Ask God, God, can you put someone in my life? I, I, I need help. God, I need you right now. I need help. We read in the text that God cares for you. The lilies of the field don't clothe themselves. The birds don't uh, get the food themselves. God gives them these things. Does he care so much more for you? See, the devil, it prowls, roars, it tries to get you isolated, but it also roars so it scares you into doing things that you weren't intentionally trying to do. It gets you jumpy, right? We love that reaction. Sometimes I'll hide in the house to scare Danae to get a reaction. She didn't plan on walking in and dropping everything, but when I scared her, then, then she did. Like that's, the roar is to get a reaction. The devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour. The worries and anxieties of this world are true. Things will happen. Things will not be easy. Everything's just not going to be super, super light and easy and nothing's ever bad gonna happen. Life gets tricky. Life gets hard. You get notices in the mail of being too loud. Family members get sick. Loved ones die. Money becomes a real issue. There are real worries and anxieties in these lives. There's intellectual doubt. There's divorce. There's sexual temptation. There's tons of worries and anxieties in this life that roars at us to get us to react in a prideful way, in a sinful way, tries to get us to rock our faith. Um, Andy Steiger, director of Apologetics Canada, and just a good guy in general, uh, he says, faith is having a good reason to believe something to be true. Faith is having a good reason to believe something to be true. And Christian, we have something so true and such a good reason to believe in it. Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. It has been tried. It has been tested. It has been the only way to see actual life. The eternal life that comes from knowing God is real. Christianity, following Jesus, is the best decision that you'll make. God is real, God is good, God is active, God cares for you, and he wants a relationship with you. It stands up 
God stands up to everything and proves himself worthy time and time again. He reveals his mighty hand. Not only can you see it in the scriptures and you can go through story after story after story seeing how faithful God is, but if you look back in your life and you look how faithful God has been time and time and time again, how the worries and anxieties that maybe plagued you five, 10 years ago don't seem to be the same now. How God has actually worked in your life for actual good, not the way that you planned it at all, because life never goes that way. But life's so different because you have him who is so much better. And what's so cool is know that you're not alone. All of us are not alone. Together, we are together. And because he says, uh, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There are millions, maybe billions of Christians around the world who are all praising the same God, who are going through worry after anxiety, worry, anxiety, and standing firm in their faith and not falling away. That gives us so much more encouragement that there are others out there who love him and want to follow him the rest of the days. So many people are are dealing with worries and anxieties just like you are. So when trouble happens, when the worries, anxieties hit your life, when you get notice in your mailbox that you've, got, you've been too loud or other challenges and other difficulties that you get in your life, what is your reaction? Jesus is saying, come, come to me. Come, come to me, those who have worries and anxieties. Come to me, those who are heavy laden, who have heavy burdens, I will come and give you a light burden, an easy yoke. Come and learn from me. Jesus is saying, isn't it time for you to stop putting those worries, anxieties on your shoulders? Isn't it getting too heavy for your shoulders to bear? He says, come to me, for I'm gentle and humble at heart. I will come and give your soul rest, real rest. So Christian, here today, or if you do not believe in who Jesus is, come today. Come and say, Jesus, I can't. I can't carry this burden anymore. It's too heavy. It's too hard. My life is too hard. I need, I need help. He is there with open arms, just waiting. He's like, come, child, come, because I want you. There's no burden that's too big. There's no anxiety that's too small, that Jesus doesn't look at you and want you, and he wants this relationship with you. God is a lovesick father who just wants his children to come home and just say, Dad, I can't handle this anymore. Dad, I need help. That's who our God is, the God who is capable, the God who cares. He is the God that we serve. 
So maybe for some of you today, it's, it's time for you to say, God, I can't do this life anymore. I need help. Maybe it's the first time you pray that in a while. So a reminder. Be humble in the rumble when the things that worry us, give us anxiety, come our ways, be humble. Be humble under the mighty hand of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, you are good. Uh, We look through your word and we can see how you have been faithful time and time and time again to your people and how you have called us now your people. And we see the promises you've given your people, how you will be there for us, how you will be the God who cares for us, you'll be the God who loves us, and you are the God who will always, always want us. So Father, um, we pray. um, or We're sorry for the times that we think that we can handle things on our own. May you constantly remind us that you are the one who is capable of directing our lives. You are worthy of our whole life. Father, help us follow you uh, in all things. Let us give our anxieties, our worries, our troubles of this life to you. For you are the one who truly cares for us. Father, we love you. Help us love you more. Amen.